0: Hi folks, before we start this week's episode, I wanted to ask for your support for Design Museum Everywhere. Just like this podcast, so much of what Design Museum Everywhere puts out in the world is free and accessible to everyone. We're all about bringing design impact everywhere to everyone. Whether it's our virtual events, like our recent Design Museum Live on data visualization and COVID-19, or our We Design online exhibition featuring designers of color across every design field or the hundreds of articles on design on our website like one of my favorites design thinking for rocket scientists there's just so much design museum content to enjoy it's all made possible by people like you whose financial support drives our ability to bring the transformative power of design everywhere if you enjoy this podcast i hope you'll consider making a year-end gift to support us your donation is tax deductible and means a lot to us visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on the link at the top of the page and thanks, and now onto the show. Hello, and welcome to Design Is Everywhere, the weekly podcast about design impact from Design Museum Everywhere. It's Thursday, November 5th, 2020. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of the museum, Before we get into it, I just want to thank everyone who voted in the election on Tuesday. It means a lot. As we discussed in a recent episode, you can continue to stay engaged in the political system throughout the year to ensure you're living in the world you want to live in. Design your world by staying engaged in the public process. So do that. This week, we're back checking in on COVID and design as we lead up to our fifth annual Workplace Innovation Summit. So we'll be talking about workplace design during and after the pandemic, specifically about what lessons workplace design can learn from healthcare design and healthcare environments. I remain so grateful to our frontline healthcare workers who don't have a choice where they work. They have to work in their spaces. They have to go in, they have to connect with hundreds, maybe thousands of people day after day. So if you're a frontline worker, thank you. As we've discussed in past episodes, healthcare workers have had to quickly adapt their environments to make them even more safe for us during the pandemic. Today, we're going to talk about lessons from that work that can be applied to make workspaces safer. We have two design leaders from HOK, a global design, architecture, engineering, and planning firm. Our guest co-host is Donald Kramers. He's a principal and senior project interior designer in HOK's San Francisco office. Him and I will chat first. Then we'll be joined by Donald's colleague in the New York office, Christine Vandover. She's an interior design principal at HOK. I love cross-pollinating design solutions across industries and sectors, and Donald and Christine are making that happen. Before we jump into our conversation, a few things from the Design Museum. Our Workplace Innovation Summit is just about a month away. If you like this episode on workplace design, you're going to love the summit. It's basically five days of this. Five days of workplace innovation thought leadership across design, real estate, HR, culture, and much more. It's all happening December 7th through 11th via a live stream. So you can join us from anywhere in the world. We have tons of awesome speakers. Just to highlight a few here, uh, we have the whole team from Future Work Design. They will be running a workshop on how to create an equitable and employee-centered organization. So real strategies that you can use. And I'm super excited to share that our closing keynote presenter, will be Jennifer Kolstad, the Global Design Director at the Ford Motor Company. Jennifer oversees design for all of Ford's physical environments, unifying the whole Ford brand language across many different space types, even extending into the culture and the behavioral design uh, within Ford. Uh, Jennifer recently convened a think tank of workplace innovation thought leaders to understand where we go from here, and she'll share those insights at the summit. So I'm really excited to hear from her and others uh, we have some gr- a great lineup, so go grab your tickets, visit our website to learn more and register at designmuseumeverywhere.org. Okay, this week's topic is related to the Workplace Innovation Summit because we're talking about how to make workplaces safer during and after the pandemic. And our guests have ideas on how workplace design can learn from design changes in healthcare environments. We're now roughly, what, eight months into the COVID-19 pandemic at least here in the US, and it seems we're entering potentially a third wave of increased infections. To date, about 220,000 people have died from the virus. COVID-19 has changed pretty much every aspect of our lives. I've acknowledged this many times in the podcast, and I want to do it again, that there are people who have no choice and must go to work. Our doctors, nurses, grocery store workers, teachers, many, many more, and I just don't want to, to lose that in our conversation about the office workspace because schools, grocery stores are also workspaces. So perhaps we'll weave that into our conversation about making healthy spaces. Uh, For the folks who can work from home, I think at first people were like, this is great. No commute. I'm on Zoom. I'm hanging out in my sweatpants. No one can tell. Um, But I've just seen many studies, talked to a lot of people and folks, no surprise, maybe are finding it hard to collaborate and be creative together while we're all apart. And so, you know, the truth is we're physical beings, human beings, and we like to be together, talk and share ideas. And as great as it is to work from home, sometimes many people, including me, miss the office. And so work environments are and probably will always be the best place for us to share and connect and develop new ideas. So let's get into it. Our guest co-host is Donald Kramers. He's a principal and senior project interior designer at HOK a global design firm. His project portfolio contains work in workplace, public, education, hospitality, and healthcare markets. Donald designs healthy interiors that respond to the context of the site and structure in which the interior exists. Donald also recently served as the chapter president of the IIDA Northern California chapter. That's the International Interior Design Association. Donald, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. Good to be here. Uh, It's great to have you. So I love researching our guests and your work has really spanned so many different contexts and sectors designing different spaces. So I'd just love to start, I'd love to hear about your process, no matter what type of space you're designing, what are the process elements that each type of project shares?
1: Uh, That's a good question. First of all, it starts with the fact that I'm really working on commercial spaces and not residential spaces. Mm. And that's a big clarification yes. that I need to make with most people when I introduce myself as an interior designer. They're immediately thinking of kitchens and bedrooms and powder rooms and things like that. Yeah. But as you mentioned, IIDA, um, it's a whole network of commercial designers that are working on all sorts of different kinds of projects. And just just within my own organization, we have a lot of different markets that we work with that may include airports and arenas and hospitals and lab buildings, academic buildings, and then of course the, the work environment. And the work environment really covers across all of those different types of markets, but then there's all the specialty spaces within those markets. And for for every project, really what you want to do at the beginning is to identify who all the stakeholders are. These are the people that are going to be using the spaces and they may be using it in very different ways. They may be using working in the space, or they may be a customer of the space, they may be a guest, a visitor. But then beyond that, you have to figure out who the decision makers are, because a lot of times the decision makers are not necessarily the stakeholders. Yeah, there's
0: a difference between your client and the stakeholders, right? Exactly, exactly.
1: And sometimes the stakeholders are even outside of the organization. So like if we're working on a healthcare project, we may meet with a group of patients who have had kind of ongoing experience, um, maybe through chronic illnesses or long-term illnesses, maybe dealing with a family member, um, really getting the feedback of what the experience was of that person actually using the space. Mm -hmm. And that's gonna be very different feedback than say a provider, a nurse, uh, an administrator who might be working in that space. So really starting with the group of voices that, that are really going to benefit from the space is really important. And then working collaboratively to come up with a set of goals and a lot of times what we call guiding principles. Those principles are really important because as you're moving forward, looking at options and making decisions, a lot of times you need to kind of coax those stakeholders and decision makers back to the guiding principles to keep everyone on the same page and to make sure that everyone is making the best decision to meet the goals that everyone agreed to.
0: Gosh, and that, you know, everything you just described before even really kind of putting pen to paper and like what the actual space is going to look like from a tangible, it's just like setting the goals, getting everyone aligned. And I think a lot of times we forget that that's that designer's role as well. You're like designing this group.
1: Right. And sometimes that can take weeks and months just to go through that whole Mm -hmm. process. And a lot of times concurrently to that, we're working on what we call the program. And that's really trying to quantify and sort of list everything that that needs to go into this facility. And then you start to identify the parameters that um, uh, maybe affect the size of each of these different pieces, um, the circulation that's going to be required to connect all these pieces together. And it starts to give you sort of a big picture, still um, on paper before we start to model anything about what the kind of physical and functional needs of the space will be.
0: I mean, along those same lines, so you're working on all these different commercial spaces. COVID has impacted, I'm sure, all of them in some in different ways. So I'm curious, as you're out there, what are you seeing as sort of like the common challenges for these spaces, people within these spaces during the pandemic?
1: Probably the most significant challenge is that no one really quite knows where this is going yet. You said we're, we're eight months into this, and we still see a lot of pause in making any big changes. Because we just don't know where we're going to be six months from now or a year from now, if and when there's a successful vaccine, and it really is um, through the entire community. Mm-hmm. Can we go back to the way things were before, what what we all f- felt was normal before? We just don't know yet. Yeah. I think we've all experienced all sorts of manner of social distancing, and that's impacting every kind of environment. When you go to the grocery store, you may have to stand in line so that there's only a handful of people in that store. The same thing happens for anyone who's going back into an office, for anyone who's going to a waiting room in any kind of facility, that people tend to wait outside, wait in their car, just so they're not having to gather and keeping that social distance from anyone they don't have a super amount of trust with.
0: I imagine you had some workplace projects That were happening before the pandemic and then kind of spanned into these times. Have those projects changed? Are they on hold? Maybe you could give us some examples of some of that that work you're doing.
1: Uh, It's a little bit of both of those. (laughs) Um, uh, Rather than hold, we like to use the word pause.
0: Ah, I like it. I like it.
1: So it kind of depends on where we were in the process. If something was under construction already, it's kind of hard to make those kinds of changes during construction. And again, Mm -hmm. because we don't know where this is going. Um, Or if there is a big procurement process, like if you were ordering tons of workstations or all your furniture for your collaborative spaces, if you've already made that purchase and it's already in the works, there's not much that you can do to change it when you don't really know where the change is going to take you to. Some things have moved forward just to kind of finish out the space. They're not necessarily being occupied or occupied fully at this point yet. Um, it's just like any space that we had previously that people are kind of staying away from it and figuring out other ways to interact with each other rather than going to that space. Um, we definitely have projects that have that are going on pause. A big part of that is people reassessing how much space they'll need in the future. Mm. You know, if we're able to work effectively and We haven't really had any drops in our productivity in what we're doing. Do we really need all that space that we occupied before? And we really see that with organizations that have multiple locations, like um, even in San Francisco or in Silicon Valley, if you have a big organization, they may be in five or six different buildings on five or six different sites. And what we're seeing is that there's an assessment about maybe being able to narrow that down
0: Yeah, that's interesting, that kind of leads into my next question, because we are in this moment where, yeah, maybe we're just working remotely and it's all working out well. I do have this notion that we had a lot of things in the pipeline and yeah, you can continue maintaining those things, but really innovating and connecting, I feel like we need to be together. I I wonder, are there new types of spaces that need to be designed or are you thinking about the office differently? as a collaborative space. I don't know. I just think something will have to change if we're not going to have all these desks. What's the purpose mm-hmm. of the space? Mm-hmm. And is that purpose driving new design typologies, if you will?
1: Kind of the biggest idea of a new typology is that you don't necessarily replicate everything everywhere, mm. or you don't necessarily have one big office, that it becomes um, more of like a hub and a spoke. And that's an idea that's been been. Mm-hmm discussed throughout the summer and it really seems to have a lot of merit where you really have three places that you work. You have your home environment where you can do a lot of your individual work, your heads down work, your quiet work. And then there are different types of collaborative spaces that you might go to. And there might be the the kind of smaller spoke spaces that are really geared towards maybe what people in a community need. But then somewhere beyond that, there's really kind of a main hub. And maybe that main hub is really more of your client interface yeah, space. Yeah. And you know, that could go that could be spread across a really large region. It could be spread across the country, depending on what the organization is, is about. But if you're in a metropolitan area, it may be spread in different suburbs or different neighborhoods that are kind of adjacent to each other, but you're kind of giving people the option of not having to commute as much as they did before not having to travel that distance that they had to before and just coming into an environment where they're expected to be when that's really not what where they need to be to do the work that they're they're doing at that time
0: yeah there's this notion this was pre-pandemic but the whole thinking of space as a service and like what's the value add of the space pre-pandemic the value add is like okay we're all coming together i need a place to work right but value add after or during and after could be quite different. And I'm excited to see how that kind of shapes, Like to your point, these specialty spaces. Right.
1: Well, I just want to add, one of those values that we used to think about I think was just identity as well. Yeah, that's right. And not not branding so much, but just the identity of everyone gathered together. It's like, oh, this is the organization that I own, that I manage, that I work for. And that's that's all been blown apart. And we realize that we don't necessarily need to have that physical identity to really have a productive and effective organization.
0: That's a great point. Yeah. So one of the spaces we haven't talked about, I'm curious, well, you mentioned it because you do commercial spaces, but I wonder, is there going to be increasingly a role for interior designers such as yourself in the home, right? Where more... People totally. are going to want to be like
1: building. Have, have you started to see that at all? Well, we've kind of seen it anecdotally. Um, you know, we we get lots of outreach by various vendors that we work with. You know, furniture manufacturers, mm-hmm. and it didn't take them very long before the emails that we were getting from them was encouraging us to look at the offerings of furniture that they have for ourselves that we could bring into <laughs> our own customers home. now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we, um, we're no longer just specifiers, but we're actually customers but then we we also have been having these conversations about we think it would definitely go in this direction where an organization will actually have as part of their interior design program not just the standards of what you have in the dedicated workspaces but the standards that actually, people could actually specify to have in their own home and that an interior designer may actually be doing visits in someone's home
0: yeah i mean that could become a um, that's the next generation perk that's the you know, right. your signing bonus. And we're also going to send an interior designer over to your home to try some
1: things out. Or it's part of your orientation when you join an organization.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So in your bio, we talk about healthy interiors. I just love that because like, if we're not doing that, what the
1: hell are we doing? And right. so what does a healthy interior mean to you? The notion of what a healthy interior is, is very solid. We may Mm -hmm. have to approach it a little bit differently, but I feel like it is a space that's organized, a space that's calm, a space that has daylight and natural light. It has access to the outside, whether you can physically step outside or not, but at least you can see a view and you can see the light through the day change and you can kind of feel that rhythm happening. It should be simple. Um, so that it's not distracting, but it still needs to have a little bit of interest to it. And ultimately, all of this comes together and it just creates a reassuring environment for someone. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's something that we all need right now in our environments. It's to be reassured that that they're clean and that they can just support what what we need right now.
0: Thank you, Donald. This is so good. Thanks for sharing your expertise with us. listeners you can learn more about donald's and the team at hok their work spans architecture design engineering planning and more visit their website hok.com and donald please stay with us and we'll bring your colleague from hok christine vandiver into the conversation join us december 7th through 11th for our fifth annual workplace innovation summit an immersive five-day virtual event experience focused on the future of how and where we work. At the Workplace Innovation Summit, you'll learn directly from the experts and become an expert yourself by engaging in meaningful conversations to develop your during and post-COVID workplace strategy. Topics include augmenting existing spaces, wellness and workplace culture, equity in the workplace, collaborative technology, and more. You'll experience keynote presentations, interactive workshops, and virtual networking opportunities. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org to learn more. Let's connect, reflect, reform, and shape what happens next in the workplace at the 2020 Workplace Innovation Summit. Attend virtually from anywhere in the world December 7th through 11th. Get your tickets today at designmuseumeverywhere.org. And we're back, and to continue our conversation on healthier, safer workspaces, we're joined by our special guest, Christine Vandover. She is an interior design principal at HOK in New York with 25 years of experience in healthcare, corporate, mixed use, and product design. During her career, she has led several high-profile corporate and healthcare projects, including New York Presbyterian and Massachusetts General Hospital. Christine always brings a broad base of creative knowledge and critical thinking to her work, with a curiosity for fresh ideas and visuals. Christine, welcome to Design is Everywhere. Thank you. It's great to have you. I'm excited to get into this with with you both, but starting with your experience in healthcare environments. Doctors, nurses, other healthcare professionals don't get to work from home (laughs) like many of us. We need them in their spaces with the specialized equipment. And so how have you seen hospitals and other healthcare facilities adapt and change in response to COVID?
2: Well, um, some things were baseline that we were already doing, like eight-foot corridors, and you know, now everybody in the world knows what PPE is, before, <laughs> it was like, we talked to the corporate group, and they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs>
0: What's that acronym?
2: <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, durability and cleanability, because healthcare projects are really, like, they're 50-year buildings that we're designing, so they have to be really meet all these stringent, like... Um, You know, requirements. So, we do a lot of research and we work with environmental services, testing everything to make sure everyone feels comfortable that they can care for it over 50 years. But Mm -hmm. the biggest changes have probably been um, just one I wanted to mention right off the top was like pop up healthcare. I'm sure you saw that in the news when the beginning of COVID happened. And um, our office actually helped design with um, germ free laboratories, like a pop up clinic where you go get tested so that it wasn't overwhelming the hospitals cause the hospitals just couldn't handle it. Um, but then kind of thinking about the design of projects that we've been doing in the last, you know, six to seven months, ones that were already like almost done with the construction. We didn't see a lot of changes other than some seating was getting taken out of waiting areas just to like create that extra space. And it was a lot of like more operational changes around, mm-hmm. um, not as, not allowing as many guests into the hospital or giving them a time limit things like that but now we're seeing like changes with projects that are just going where they really want to focus on of course HVAC which is always a big um, issue is the air changes in a building and any healthcare environment but now they want 100% outside air and 100% exhaust
0: yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm not an expert, but in all these conversations, it sounds like flexibility in these healthcare fa- facilities yeah. was something that was like talked about in the past. And now it is like essential, like even the common areas being flexible enough to add capacity and like literally yeah. maximizing every square inch. Um, exactly. Which is so interesting and a big change. Oh, it's, it's wild.
2: Yeah. And then there's some other interesting things. I mean, this is something that I've I think for the last few years, I've been very interested just in my own research and thinking about, um, staff wellness within a workplace because I've worked with, um, you know, I hear stories from nurses and doctors when I'm working with them and how they're working 12, 14, 16 hour days. Sometimes they don't even take a lunch break. This is just before COVID, right? Yeah. Because they're caring for somebody. So like if you're caring for someone, it's time for their medicine. And you only have 15 minutes and you have to run outside, get a sandwich, come back, you're like, uh, it's hard, right? Because you're caring for that person. So you you feel guilty about leaving. So a lot of them maybe don't eat the best food, or they order pizza for the whole staff there, or things like that. So food and you know, health has been kind of a big issue that's been coming up. And we we try to design our um, staff lounges and things to be a little more restaurant like, and yeah, try cool. to improve, talk to the hospitals about improving the food service.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a workplace, right? So, all yeah, of the exactly. things I know we're going to talk about how workplaces can learn from these healthcare facilities, but you know, there's been so much work around wellness in the workplace, and I'm not sure it's been applied <laughs> yet. Uh, not really, not yet. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's been like a really slow because I always feel like it's kind of a difficult thing, and I think, um, you know, Donald, I'm sure you've had the same issue on your projects, but if it's not put in the program mm-hmm. with the medical planners and consulting uh, group early on, it's hard to fit it in when we're in the design phase, trying to squeeze in this extra space because the functional spaces always come first or the patient spaces. But we have noticed, um, you know, some recent projects that they are starting to incorporate respite rooms, which are in addition to staff lounges. So these, these are like areas where you can just kind of shut the door just like a chair a soft light where you can just kind of decompress for a few minutes because you think about a hospital if someone's died yeah or
1: totally. someone's
2: really sick like how do you just like go about your day
1: right well especially during covid when so many of the providers were also act- having to act as a family member or the go between yes. with family members but exactly. i am curious
0: like for the, the meat of our conversation here of what lessons can we learn from healthcare facilities and design changes or designs that have always been there that we can apply to our workplaces going forward that are going to help make them safer, you know, have us be more confident in them. And I'm talking mostly about offices, but also schools, retail, like all these spaces need to adapt, at least in the short term. Right. So I'm curious, are there like examples or principles that workplace designers should be thinking about, um, around health.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think like the baseline of what we, what we look at is really well, the well certification yeah. system and lead. And I think, you know, a lot of those have really made some big changes in the last few years. Um, so, you know, lead lead is, um, you know, environmental qualities of the space. And you're always thinking about the indoor air quality and the lighting. Um, you're also thinking about nutrition now in the space and what those choices are and also movement through a space, like to make sure that, especially in a workplace, in a healthcare environment, people are pretty much moving around on their feet all the time. (laughs) They kind of need the opposite like places to sit down. Um, but in a workplace you might get stuck in a chair and that's not very healthy for you. So it's really keeping that movement going, um, throughout the space. And then also, um, thinking about decentralization, which is a big thing in healthcare, right? Like decentralizing um, like where the nurse stations are rather than one big central zone, it's decentralized. So they're closer to the patient care and patient rooms. And so it's kind of like that in uh workplace, you can kind of think of it in the same way. So you're kind of maybe decentralizing um Huddle rooms or conference rooms, like rather than doing like all your conference rooms in kind of one zone, it's like spreading it out so it's like closer by people and then giving people choices of where to work or where to go based on, you know, how they're feeling that day. Um, especially like now, I think people are more in touch with their feelings. Just because of all the emotions everyone's had to go through was like being kind of like stuck in their house or mm-hmm. not being able to go out. And so I think that that's just something that people, it's, it's going to be a big change in workplace.
0: Workers, employees don't need a desk. They need a little nurse's cart. We all need our nurse's cart yeah, exactly. that we wheel with us into our conference room. Yeah. Because um, we got to be moving. We got to get, you know, off out of these chairs exactly. and, and mobile. Yeah. Well, and
2: that's what, that's really what we're talking about with, um, corporate clients is called, we call it an agile working environment. So you're constantly moving and that trend was already happening. We did a big project with, um, group M a while back and totally agile environment, no assigned seats. So you sat somewhere different every day. You could choose to work at a group table with your team, or you might, Choose one of those lounge focus seats that has like a whole kind of surrounding around you that feels, um, you know, maybe more acoustic. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you might choose to work in like the cafe, you know, WeWork lounge, something like that. So lots of lots of choices, and that's a way to get people to move around too.
0: Yeah, there's there was already. I wasn't even thinking about that till this very moment of the expectations we will have as employees as workers because we've generated to the best of our ability, a great maybe work environment for ourselves at home. So our expectations will naturally go. And there was like a, I don't know if it's the right word, like a domestication of the work environment with couches and these environments. But I wonder, Christine, if you think right that's going to go even more. So it's like home is now penetrating into the workspace and vice versa.
2: Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think, I think it's going to be really interesting also to watch just what happens with residential design. Because that really, um, that's going to become just like an having an, I'm in New York, so like an outdoor terrace and having an office space in your apartment is huge in New York, right? Because we live <laughs> in really small spaces. So right. when you're looking for an apartment now, those are like top on your list where they, before that, maybe you just wanted one big open space, but now you're like, no, I'd rather have like a little separate room for my office so I can like shut the door. So I think there'll be a lot of things happening there.
1: Well, especially when you have other family members as well. Right. You're, you're having to negotiate your space oh, with yeah. your, your spouse who's, who's talking on the, the phone or Zoom all day long as well, or your kids who are trying to do their schoolwork or trying to play. And so the, the way we use our home environment and manage school and work at the same time is going to be completely different.
0: Yeah, all of a sudden the workplaces, we have to go there (laughs) to get work done, to to focus. Um, It's true. It's it's different for for everyone's situation. Absolutely.
1: I love the way you talked about the office kind of influencing healthcare design, but um, what are some of the more specific things about how what you've been doing in healthcare is influencing Maybe not the the work specifically you're you're doing in healthcare design, but I know that people have been coming to you as a resource about what you're thinking about um, the the best aspects of, of healthcare design and how it can influence what we're doing in other markets.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's what I that's what I really love about what I do, that I always cross over between the two, healthcare and corporate. And I just have a natural interest. And health and wellness and lifestyle, that's just something I've always followed along with, whether it's like goop or beauty water, whatever the little things are mm-hmm. um, that I'm into. And so I try to bring those into all my projects. So I think, um, you know, there's like a law firm that I worked on, White & Case, that had, it was really it became about ultra convenience. And we had a full on fitness center there. We had a spin room that converted to a yoga room that also had individual digital works at workouts. Um They also uh, incorporated a wellness suite. So they actually outsourced, um, you know, a nurse who worked there. So you could go there to get like, if you had like a blood test or you needed to get a prescription or have your checkup, you could do it there. Which I thought, I mean, for a lawyer who also is not like, unlike healthcare, working 14, 16 hour days or overnight, you know, to get ready for their big case, that's a really big deal for them and you know that supports their whole healthcare program and the wellness of their staff you know with the kind of increase in healthcare or in sorry in corporate with this you know idea of you know hospitality influence coming into the workplace having your coffee bar having these choices having kind of upgraded design that's definitely influenced healthcare as well like the new york presbyterian um David H. Koch Center on the Upper East Side in New York that we designed has a beautiful restaurant-like cafe with different types of seating choices. It has like a really nice quiet lounge um, with actually like in block wood floor. Like we really thought about like the whole brand and what they wanted to express and it's all like open to daylight and the whole street level. It's really nice. Uh,
0: A couple of final questions here. Actually, let's do this one for both of you because I'm just curious, What you think, you know, we're adapting some stuff in the short term in the workspace, but in your minds, what is going to remain with us conceptually, physically, long term coming out of this? uh, Once, you know, let's pretend COVID is over.
2: Uh, Well, the office is going to remain. The office is not going away. (laughs) I think some people are afraid that's going to happen, but it's just, you know, we're all humans and you need to be able to connect with each other it might just be in a different way. And it might, you know, the real estate might be consolidated in some ways because you don't need to have a desk for every person if you're moving to these more agile work environments. So it's this more like hybrid remote in the office work setting. And it kind of makes the office more like an employee engagement center or client engagement center. So you're really going there to engage with people. And it's probably going to be a little more on like the meeting collaboration side than it is to go into the office to just work because the work part you can kind of do at home and then you're going to come back to the office to like be together. So it's probably going to shape the office, the offices in that way where it's going to be really heavily focused on, really unique conferencing and meeting spaces, visualization, things like that. Right. And then I think the other big thing is outdoor workspace.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, is... I was I was just going to speak to that as well. Um, and Christine and I have talked about this because we live in very different environments. So as the seasons are changing um, with Christine living in New York, those kinds of spaces are going to have a very different challenge than what we have in Northern California. So we have, you know, as long as it's not raining, we have a, a pretty good um, environment uh, where we can be outside and actually working and collaborating and um, using the outside as program spaces. Um, And you had asked previously, um, how have projects changed during this COVID transition? There is one project that we have on the boards right now, and some of the collaboration spaces are being pushed to the outside. So it's so in the design process right now, we're actually able to think about um, where's the best place to orient them in terms of um, being too sunny and too hot or too shady and too cool, uh, glare from the sun, various things like that, and also being able to design overhangs so that we can actually protect people from the rain. So. Um, I think in uh, a climate like California and Northern California, I think that connection, that real physical connection to the outside is not going to go away. And I think that that'll be a great benefit as we move forward.
0: All right. Last last question uh, for you, Christine. I kind of talked to Donald about his vision for a healthy workspace. I, I'm curious what, you know, if you had a clean sheet of paper, you, you're the client, the designer, you've got the magic wand. What? what does an ideal workspace look like, you know, coming out of this? Um, you know, we touched on a few of those things, but I wonder if you can kind of paint a picture for us.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think it's similar to some of the projects we're starting to dive into, but I think it's really um, finding the real estate that has that large outdoor area, even if you're in New York, because it's about seeing outside um, being connected with the daylight and then also being able to use that as again, like a movement space that we talked about But then it's also about, you know, moving through the space. So you might come in to like a space where, you know, maybe you call it your trust center. You come in, there's some building stats about the air quality or um, the temperature, and you can kind of decide where you want to meet that day or where you want to work that day. Maybe you go to like a garden workspace where there's like plants and maybe some background noise or something. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you go into something where it's more of like an energetic collaborative space where you're kind of moving around and working with your team, you know, or you might choose like a more sensory environment where it's like scent, and sound, um, you know, your headphones on, things like that, where you're kind of doing like heads down work. I think it's just kind of about like moving through the space and having a lot of different choices.
0: Yeah. I like that notion a lot. You can definitely see, again, with the ability to have more, I think as Donna mentioned, like specialty spaces and areas, you can get more creative when you don't have to have, you know, a hundred desks. <laughs> um, you can, you have a lot more possibilities, which is yeah exciting. It's really And cool. I think
2: the other thing is just really having, you know, again, these really awesome presentation spaces. I mean, uh, last year I was working on a project with a client in Miami who had a 30 foot screen that would present in front of. And it, it I loved it because it was like doing a TED talk. It was a little oh, intimidating yeah. at first. <laughs> I think that it really makes the experience really immersive for the client, like they loved it. And even for us, we love presenting on it. So I think those kind of really immersive conference spaces for client presentations are gonna really like kind of go over the top.
0: Yeah, those specialty, like as we were saying, what's the value add of the space? And it's gotta be a bigger value than just I have my desk because I have my desk here at home or I have my desk in the coffee shop. Going to the space has to be special. The other
2: thing is just thinking about, um, kind of equality of people working at home and Mm. in the office. Mm. So when you are having some kind of parody, yeah, you need to think about that parody. So I think that's going to affect those conference rooms too, is just how do you really make them feel like they're in their room with you and that they're, you know, what is their background? Like. Are you seeing their laundry and stuff? Like the casualness that we have right now yeah, it's probably going to get a little more formal because you want people to feel, you know, more equal.
0: Lots of things to explore. Thank you both so much for this awesome conversation. And Christine, thank you for joining us and sharing your experience. Really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks. Now it's time for our weekly dose of good design where we each share an example of good design that has either impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I'll kick us off. Uh, so a few weeks ago, I spoke on a virtual panel a panel discussion about the importance of play in our cities. And it reminded me so much of our Extraordinary Playscapes exhibition that we launched in, gosh, feels like forever ago, but it was 2016. And we also wrote a book, uh, myself and my former colleague, Amanda Hawkins, wrote a book about design and playgrounds called Design and & Play. And um, so in speaking about this, I remembered about all the amazing work we've done around this space. And so my weekly dose is the playgrounds that we installed. Uh, they're called Play Cubes. So we installed these playgrounds in collaboration with a company called PlayWorld and they were so uh, generous. Everywhere we did the exhibition, we also donated a playground to that city. And uh, play cubes are really special, pretty much unlike any playground you've ever seen before, even though I guess the original design was created in 1968 uh, by an architect, Richard Dätner, and I guess it was reintroduced a few years ago um, in a new material, um, new colors. Uh, In fact, the design museum installation of the of Play Cubes in Chinatown in Boston was the first new Play Cube installation, um, and so that was a collaboration between Richard and Play World and the local community. But we've also done them in San Francisco and Chicago. We actually just did a re- one in Boston, like right before COVID. <laughs> we installed another Play Cube installation in Boston Seaport District. Basically, the Play Cubes are a modular set of these really cool, like dodecahedron shapes, with holes cut out of every every face, and They're modular, right? So you can connect them with each other and like build these different structures and um, you get creative with what you build. They come in tons of different bright colors. They're great to play on, whether you're a kid or an adult. When I visited, gosh, the last time I visited the play cubes in Chinatown, it was months ago at this point, but there was a group of kids there had transformed one of these cubes, these dodecahedrons into like a lemonade stand. Another group, it was a pirate ship. Like that's the beauty of them. And they're just sort of like the scaffolding for your imagination to do whatever you want. And that's the best kind of play, right? Uh, The Play Cubes, very deservedly, they won the Chicago Athenaeum's Good Design Award last year. Uh, So I encourage everyone to check them out. We'll post the link. And if you can safely go out and play, check them out if they're around you. I, I really think they're a lot of
1: fun. Cool. All right, Donald, you are up. Well, I'd like to elaborate a little bit on something that Christine brought up. Um, it's this idea of these collaborative whiteboards. Um, I mean, they're they're not really a whiteboard, but they're a way of being able to collaborate together. There's a, a couple of different ones that we use at HOK. One is called Miro, and the other one is called Concept Board. And we're we're really kind of focusing with Concept Board right now, and it's this um, it's this way of um, it's cloud-based, so everyone can dial into it and everyone has access to it at the same time. And you can use a lot of their presets, which would be things like um, sticky notes. So it's very easy. They they already come in particular colors and particular sizes and proportions, and it's just like using real sticky notes. And everyone can be writing comments at the same time and moving them around and organizing them. But but we use it to really organize all of the kind of visualizations that we're working on. And it's just like if we had a huge pinup wall in our office, except it's even bigger than that because it kind of (laughs) goes on into infinity. The further that you zoom out of it, you can just see more and more and more of it. And as we've gotten uh, more facile with it, we've actually come up with kind of templates of how to organize it what we saw initially was that when when you would go into the board there'd be kind of a pile of stuff here and if you panned over to the right there was another <laughs> pile of stuff and then here was what we did on tuesday and then well where where was where was last thursday's stuff and like well remember what we talked about 2 months ago where where was that so we now actually have this laid out where you just keep panning to the right and it's the entire history of the project really really well organized sort of like in a matrix but it's like if you think about going into a presentation room and you have a big wall this is how you would actually organize it to show it to a client so we're actually working that way right now and when christine talked about that that 30 foot wide monitor that her client had that would be so fantastic for the client to be able to actually see 30 30 feet wide of all your presentation materials. But what it would have allowed our team to do beforehand was to get everything perfectly organized. For us to pin up a 30-foot wall of of information would probably take us two or three hours before the presentation even started. But we could just pull up our cloud-based concept board and have it right there for the client. And the client has access to it all the time. So it becomes very interactive and very much like just a 24 hour workshop that's going on. It's, it's awesome been really terrific. Yeah,
0: yeah, very cool. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that. We'll have to post the link and I will definitely check that out. Yeah. I love all these tools that are popping up. That sounds like a good one. Thank you, Donald. It's so great to have you. Uh, great to have your expertise and uh, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, that's our show for this week. Special thanks to Donald Kramers and Christine Vandiver from HOK for joining us and thank you all for listening. I will post links to some of the things we chatted about on our episode page. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. While you're on the Design Museum Everywhere website, be sure to grab your tickets for the Workplace Innovation Summit, which is going down online December 7th through 11th. You just heard from two awesome HOK designers, and you're going to hear from another HOK thought leader at the summit. Kay Sargent is HOK's director of workplace, and she'll join us to share her research and thought leadership around neurodiversity-friendly workspaces. We all think, learn, socialize, and work differently, so our workspaces should reflect this, right? Kay will talk all about that. Uh, so grab your tickets on our website, or a very easy link to remember is WorkplaceInnovationSummit.org. Follow us on social media for all the updates on the Workplace Innovation Summit and all the other exciting things we're doing at Design Museum Everywhere. We're on Twitter at design underscore museum and Instagram. We're at Design Museum Everywhere. We're also on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. This episode was written by me, Sam Aquilano, and produced by Ryan Flam. We're also edited by Amanda Martinez. Thank you, Amanda. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave for the whole team here at the Design Museum. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk again next week.